Hello and welcome. This is your friendly neighborhood host and game designer Carlos here with a quick audio disclaimer. A little snafu happened with my microphone settings, so I won't sound as good as I usually do this time, but please bear with us and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Deep in the D-Pad, where we explore all things gaming through an intellectual lens. I'm your friendly neighborhood host and game designer, Carlos, and with me, as always, is R.K. Taylor. Hello, hello. Today we'll be discussing the gaming press, that is, the journalistic coverage of video games. But before we get into the gaming press, we must first start with our sweet D-Pad delights. So, for today's D-Pad Delights, Ryan will be kicking us off with, I believe, a virtual reality story. Indeed. Um, so, last episode, episode 6, was the Metaphysics of VR, um, which we recorded two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, like, five days after... I mean, you already know all this, you know? So, this is definitely for, like, anybody who's been following the, this, the, the saga. I am sitting silently behind our listeners, you know, just hyping you up. <laughs> giggling a little bit getting them ready ready to laugh <laughs> uh so i i bought a quest right which means that at least one person was affected by our conversation uh on the metaphysics of vr and they were motivated you know like you were saying that that part of your explicit goal uh or hope i guess is to uh turn more people on to video game development or realize the the possibilities that that, that might be in store for them and i think that you know, you or we successfully did that with with VR for me, you know, in terms of of getting me, you know, like I took the bait. It was just like that we were talking about it for too long for me to not like jump in. And like, it just seems so fun. And I've been playing um, almost daily for like the last 10 days or so. I can't I really can't even believe it's been so few days because we've spent a lot of time playing and like we've yeah uh, together alone. We've played probably six or seven different games and you know i'm playing a couple of other things on my on my own yeah you got really hyped up for vr after our metaphysics episode and it's been awesome playing with you like i think we've been playing either every day or like every other day and it's gotten me to like it's gotten me to play some games that i've been sleeping on for a while and uh those have been fun to find little nuggets inside of um, but it's now made me want to go off on my own and just play more and more vr games which like kind of ebb and flows for me but now i'm just feeling like i'm feeling that same energy that you've got and uh i have bought quite a few more vr games in those last like five days so the journey begins yet again yeah maybe we can get sponsorships for the show to support my vr habit because it has been way too much money that i have spent in the last couple of weeks (laughs) what's your d-pad delay what's up man what are you happy about today Oh yeah, so uh, recently I played Control, and uh, I had kind of mainlined the story, the main missions, I guess, and it's it gave me a sour experience with the game. Fast forward to maybe one day or less after I beat the game, I immediately buy the Alan Wake-themed DLC, because I played Alan Wake uh, back when it came out on Xbox 360. I really just got into it. Like there there was even like a web series for the fake like TV show in the game that like I watched every episode of the web series like leading up to the launch of Alan Wake and like was just so so excited. 
And uh, I didn't know how I was going to tie into control. And overall, I was on control. And then the Alan Wake expansion ended up like really shifting my opinion and making me excited for what the future of control could be. First and foremost, it fixes the tone for me. So Alan Wake adds in the air of horror and the unknown that was really missing from all of control for me even when it came to the side content and stuff like it was either oh i know this is a thing because it's from scp or like oh i know that this is kind of like astral plane shit whatever but when it came to like alan wake you kind of know what the enemy is but it also has that whole like i don't exactly know what it's gonna do it's making like weird sounds at me and things like that. Like, I guess, like, the way the darkness hisses at you is just a little bit, like, be- better creepy-wise than all the floating uh, FBC members, like, chanting the same BS over and over. But uh, I wanted to specifically highlight, real quick, just the intro to uh, the Alan Wake expansion. Gameplay-wise, like, uh, having to use telekinesis to grab lights in the environment and then use said lights to dispel darkness blobs, like blockers and things in the environment. That was really cool. Like, just mechanically, that was fun. Something I had wanted in Control's main campaign. And then uh, I think it was, like, the first office you enter or whatever you just like see this uh there's like a painting on one side of the wall uh a couch and like just some regular office things they all start duplicating and like floating off like zero g style so you see like 10 of them and it's just constantly duplicating and it's like weird as fuck and it's like oh this is like this is cool this is it i want the duplicating objects and the weird darkness because it feels like good like that that's just what was missing like the darkness the scariness aspect and the Alan Wake expansion really brought it in. So, uh, fingers crossed that the next Control game is just Alan Wake 2 and Control 2, because that's all I want. I want scary Control. Yeah, so for for anybody who uh, doesn't know or wasn't able to infer, um, Alan Wake is is like 360's era, is that correct? Is that generation? Yeah, it's a 360 game, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and and Control is like last-gen console. Um, so this is a crossover, basically. The DLC for Control that, that Carl's talking about is based on the Alan Wake game. Um, and I think I've previously heard that they were supposed to be set in the same universe. The exact connection isn't something that, that we know. But, yeah, I, I, I can see the appeal. I can see the appeal of, like, crossover games, games in general, and also these specific two. I, I, I understand uh exactly what what it is that you like about that i feel like it's clear but i'm curious if you have any thoughts on like crossover games like other crossovers like i know mario and rabbits was like one that was like fairly big on the switch that's a game i actually own yeah Yeah, i own it too and honestly i didn't feel like it was worth like as much hype as it got you know i'm not a tactics guy in general it's not like I enjoy them, but they're not like, you know, I'm not going to play like five a year. You know, that that's too many tactics games for me. For real. Oh, man. Tactics, tactics games are like the bane of my gaming existence at times. I want to like them, but I'm just like too monkey brain to, to comprehend. Like, yeah. like this enemy. Yeah. What do you mean? It's a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I overall like crossover games, but I think we should have a crossover game conversation a little later. And now let's get deeper into the D-pad. So, the gaming press, games, journalism, the hype machine, kind of, we are talking about it today. I guess where what we should start with first is, Ryan, what podcast or what sites do you use to get gaming news and or reviews? Um, okay, so 
So I'm going to assume that this is a, a shame-free zone and that you're not going to rag on me. We are no fanboys here. We are trying to be fully critical and unbiased. Okay. I have spent a lot of time on IGN uh, mm-hmm. and with like IGN-affiliated content, you know, so like their podcasts. And when I was an- anticipating the uh, the release of the Xbox, I was literally checking IGN like every day for, for like a couple months. I agree with you. IGN is like, when you first think of like video game news, most likely IGN. IGN is going to be the thing that pops up because they've just done like a really good branding. They've lasted the longest. Yeah, they are doing a lot of things right. Um, I do have like a little, you know, as I as I like joked, you know, this is a judgment free zone or whatever I, it is. I said I do have a like like a little bit of shame because I think that I don't know, like the apotheosis of, of games media or something, you know, like they are the pinnacle of what it what it currently is at its like most inflated. Like right now, like I feel like the games media bubble is gonna burst at some point because like cyberpunk should have been a wake-up call to us all i know that we're gonna have to circle back but i guess i'm just saying all of this is like i am not like necessarily proud of the amount of time that i've spent on ign but i have been susceptible to some of like the hype train phenomena previously and that's part of the reason why you know, like, I was really hyped for the Xbox, for the most recent Xbox. Like, I, I really wanted that console. And I also, like, just want to keep up with any new releases and things like that. Um, so, basically, the like, instead of even looking at, like, the top features, I, like, have, like, I go to latest. And then I will often, like, refresh and see if there's, you know, like, what there is. And, you know, I try to catch up, you know. And I, I'm kind of moving away from that right now just because i feel like there's kind of a saturation right now like there i had there's so many things that i already have downloaded that i want to play and especially like with the quest if we're going to like talk about recent like very recent history you know i just there's just too much that i have to play and they don't they aren't doing a lot of coverage of vr games and even the vr stuff that they are covering really isn't like very oculus related so i would have to start following a different like media site but i still listen to game scoop and you know I'm learning about video game stuff like from like YouTube. Also, there's nobody I want to shout at in particular, but yeah, uh, I've heard also heard good things about K- Kotaku, uh, which I assume that you've spent some time on. So yeah, so I currently I think probably just use word of mouth and or gameplay videos to really make purchasing decisions on anything. Um, I used to pr- pretty much religiously listen to all the IGN podcasts. Um, if I liked the personalities on some other sites, I would maybe listen or follow the stuff that they put out. But for the most part, growing up, I definitely was like an a IGN main person. And then uh, maybe a little bit of GameSpy debriefings, or not debriefings, but a little bit of uh, <laughs> GameSpy. Uh, they did some coverage and like GameSpot. But definitely as I like moved to college and learned about game development and started kind of like learning about resources that uh, different developers use, I was sort of steering away from those more like hype-focused gaming outlets um, because they just weren't giving me what I needed to know at that point. Like I kind of wanted to know way more about how the sausage was made 
less so what flavor is the sausage or what can we expect the sausage texture to feel like and you know all that speculation you a critic telling you that this is a must play game isn't as interesting to you as like oh like what is the innovation that they're you know like how is this different than every other shoot 'em up yeah and i feel like especially over the course of college and probably beyond like the mainstream taste just started aligning less with my own like i think because growing up i was like so into the like what's coming out next like what's gonna be the shooter oh my god call of duty oh my god halo and and, like i think i just got that same diet of games that i think they to a fair extent shovel out even to today that like I was just like, I'm kind of sick of playing games like this. And I started getting more into like indie games, started looking at uh, like Reddit. And I think it was like dig.com like quite a while back that I was like looking for various articles on. Um, and yeah, Kotaku, I, I don't really go on Kotaku currently. I'm like very lukewarm on most like gaming sites at this point i also should say that i i spent when i was a kid i spent a lot of time reading like game informer you know as like you know a teenager or whatever oh and reddit like i get a lot of like my things that i'm interested in are like looking at games that are in development uh to see like kind of like how the pieces like kind of like what you were saying about like seeing how the sausage is made but like like indie dev is like a reddit that i follow um and it's like interesting to see people's like projects that they're i i i do think that the preponderance of like indie and like set like self-developed games you know there's something for everybody now it's kind of like how like you know 50 years ago there were so few things on tv and everybody was like forced to watch the same things and then um you know now we have like a million channels and whatever it is you know there's like 10 programs on hitler and world war ii airing at the same time if you have 900 channels you know so it's like you can get your very specific hitler content you know if if you're like a world war ii buff right um and and now it's like you know if you want a very specific card game there are 10 to choose from you know like like good for you you'll be able to find exactly what you need yeah so and when we were when we were younger everything was kind of more we were like all funneled to the same ips really yeah we were all funneled kind of to the same areas because of you know lack of choice provided lack of attention diversity and now you know with the internet and social media and basically just a screen being in our face all the time like we're able to just get a wider array of advertisements and i think a big thing also when it comes to games journalism slash press specifically with reviews is like trying to figure out who you can trust with a review like i said before i had gotten burned by like several reviews that were like oh this is bad turns out to be good oh this is good turns out to be something i don't really like but maybe i can like you know i can see the technical like marvel behind it but at this point it feels way less so that the audience has a relationship with the reviewer and more so that the audience has a relationship with the brand or the logo right like you say you like listen to game scoop but there are like four or five hosts on game scoop at least like last i listened to a few years yeah back. there are four main ones and then they have like substitutions yeah and for the reviewers it's it's just like oh i'm gonna go to ign to read this review and you don't necessarily know like who's doing it like you can read the review by this person but you don't you're not gonna keep a catalog of like what did this guy think of like five other games before this right yeah i see what you're saying i 
there are sensibilities that like people have that I you know people who I follow um they they have sensibilities that I can recognize after listening to so much of their content and hearing how they speak about different games and you know I have mistakenly followed the advice of someone who I have very different gaming sensibilities with right so so like he I know he likes very gory games he likes pixel art you know and those are not two of the things that I am necessarily drawn to um, and he gave like a scathing rec- review of uh, of Watch Dogs Legion, and uh, you you know after shortly after hearing that, I was like I'd already purchased it accidentally, which is like a separate story. Uh, and you urged me to play it and sent me this video where someone else had said that it was you know one of the most innovative games of the year, and uh, I wound up playing it and I loved it. You know I thought the art style was was like for me and. Um, yeah, and I was just like, I realized after that, I was like, well, let me think about all the other games that this guy has talked about and that he likes. And uh, I realized that, like, you know, generally, like, I probably should not, like, listen to his advice, you know, in terms of whether or not to play a game. But I do still find it, his analysis interesting and, you know, understanding that there's still a market for people who don't have my exact gaming sensibility is still helpful for me to like, you know, see the game through someone else's eyes. Yeah, you touch on something really good, and it makes me think of uh, YouTube reviewers. So I really don't engage a lot with uh, gaming press stuff on, like, say, the traditional websites, IGN.com, that type of thing, um, unless necessary. I will primarily try to find people who review games on YouTube because that feels more personal. You are hearing the reviewer directly. You can see their library directly very easily. And you don't necessarily have the air of like, here's a big logo above my head that controls everything I say. So watching those guys uh, say like Donkey or G-Man Lives or Mandalore Gaming some of those guys, mostly Mandalore, Mandalore and probably G-Man lives, like they both review like older games and they most of the time tell you like what are the best settings to toggle and how to set them up to play well on current day machines. I don't ever intend on playing these games, but I love watching their videos because like you said, like the reviewers, their personality will sometimes be like so entertaining or insightful enough that you're just pulled to listening to what their thoughts are on things. And I think that's awesome to do. Like, it's better than listening to someone all the time and being like, yeah, their opinion is just right. Like, that's just the case. Like, no, diversify your bonds. I agree that the individual over the corporation is a great way to, like, search. You know, I like all your points about, like, YouTube, you can see the person's entire playlist just by seeing what games they review. Even without seeing the scores, you get an insight into what that person's world is like, you know, what their gaming life is like. And I, I do think that, that things will become increasingly splintered, you know, in the in terms of, like, music and, like, all forms of media, really, music and movies and TV shows, you know, um, the, the way that, like, you know, Spotify already has algorithms, for me and for you and those are completely different and if we listen if half of the music that we listen to was exactly the same we would still have completely different algorithms and i think gaming is going to be like that too you know and i think that that's so i think finding the people who review your particular niche is going to be the way forward and there's going to be a kind of you know like one of the reasons why i've stopped looking at IGN on a daily basis is because 
almost everything that they talk about is something I'm not interested in. You know, like I don't watch WandaVision, for example. I don't, you know, I'm I'm really not interested in what happened at the most recent Nintendo Direct. I know that I'm not going to be thrilled with anything. And I also know that I have two consoles that are newer for me than the Switch. So you'd really have to, I like, I don't even know. I'll buy whatever Zelda game comes out on the Switch. I know that already. I'll wait for, for it to come out. I don't need any announcements from Nintendo right now. That's not doing it for me. Why would I check IGN on the day that the most most the biggest buzz is surrounding like nintendo stuff you know it's just yeah and especially you know you mentioning you're getting way more into vr and one thing i hate currently about most of the quote-unquote mainstream game press is that they don't cover vr i'll just kind of go cynical on this one because that's my current leaning they kind i feel like some of these bigger places like say ign mostly to me it feels like they just think vr is like some sort of circus sideshow but when like there's a big budget game that's when it's time to cover it honestly that coverage probably just comes from like facebook or or somebody that's not ign paying for it in some way like not like a money hat type thing like ooh, like take this money and sell us the game it's good but it's like hey we know you have like 2,000 other games and publishers trying to vie for your attention. Like, can you do a docket on us? Like, something like that. But regardless, yeah, IGN barely covers, like, virtual reality. The last thing I saw them cover was maybe, like, Asgard's Wrath. So, again, it's just, like, whatever, like, is a super-duper big-budget title, which, like, VR can have right now, but it doesn't see good returns on, which is why they don't happen that often but also yeah so like going to the niche point now because i'm like more into vr and stuff i'm aware of different youtube reviewers like there's a a wolf in vr he does fairly good videos like cass and cherry i think um there's for actual websites there's like upload vr kotaku i feel most of the time just shits on vr (laughs) like i don't think I don't think I've seen a Kotaku article where they're positive about VR ever. I don't know what that's all about. Um, but yeah, even when it comes to like what is offered in the VR like gaming press sphere, it's still like it's almost like as indie as VR is. I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about VR right now and and like it is inter- it does interest me that there's so little coverage for it in like mainstream gaming news. You know, we were talking to someone the other day who insinuated that that there isn't enough like multiplayer, which is which is asinine. I mean, I I, like what that illustrates to me is is how even people who are extremely passionate about gaming, people who watch multiple like conferences or competition, esports competitions a year. Right. Like people who are like deep in the gaming industry are completely oblivious to um what's going on in the in vr unless that they intentionally seek it out themselves right and, and part of that has to be a marketing issue part of that has to be the fact that like you know it doesn't have the same backing financially that some of the other games have you know like a tr- there aren't as, as many AAA publishers so we're you know fed a diet of whatever they think is going to sell the most and we haven't reached that critical mass yet that that for in vr in the vr space besides with something like half-life alex i mean i think if you looked up i would say i would guess that 70 percent of all articles on vr are half-life alex you know which is insane that that's a single game oh i don't know if that's 
So true, but I mean, I agree with the point that you're making that Alex has been probably the the most publicized or the hardest marketed VR game to date. Yeah, cut out that 70% shit. I should not be speculating like that. Fuck that. <laughs> but yeah, no, the hype train was so hard behind that, right? And I mean, it did have the IP backing of Half-Life, one of the best ever known video game IPs, I guess. So just a quick aside, I want to make a note on the IGN uh, website. They do have a VR part of IGN. I had to find this by Googling IGN VR. You cannot get to it from like their homepage. If you go to their homepage and go to like browse or whatever, the only consoles or manufacturers you see are Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, and then like nothing else. They don't have any highlight for VR or anything. That's like pretty annoying. Um, just as yeah, IGN.com and VR. as a developer, yeah, yeah, IGN.com slash VR. As a developer and as a gamer, that's just very annoying to have an entire medium just kind of missing from the headline of what should theoretically be the the first place you go to for gaming news and reviews. It's like, why are you missing an entire platform, dog? Sounds like you're slipping into the past. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That, so something else I kind of wanted to talk with you about, uh, which we touched on a little bit, was the current state of gaming journalism. We've been kind of like talking about it, touching on it here and there. Like we've mentioned that there are podcasts and stuff, multiple hosts slash reviewers. I don't know exactly what they're called, like because they some of the, they'll do reviews and also videos and maybe like dockets. They're content creators, whatever. I guess actually one question I find maybe kind of interesting is like, is this too much? Like having, I guess, it, okay, sorry, let me take a step back and say, is this too much? Like, is having a like Xbox podcast, a PlayStation podcast, a Nintendo podcast, a VR podcast, all on IGN, all with like four hosts each? And then maybe there's also podcasts for like the TV and the comics and all that jazz. Like, is this too much? We have so many hours of talking heads to listen and watch and, I don't know, become Borg-like with. Is this is this overall good or bad, you think? You know, our contemporary news is built upon ads, right? So in order for, for IGN to continue to get money, they need people clicking on as many articles as possible. That could be mean that some of the the quality of those articles is degraded. That could mean that they use a lot of clickbait. Uh, but what it definitely means is that they are going to produce as much content as possible in order to get as as many people as uh, on board. So they're you know they're painting with a broad brush essentially of what they'll what they'll cover, and that's why it's not just games, right? It's like all forms of entertainment. It's like oh, if you want to come here for games, maybe you'll like some of these you know gaming adjacent. IPs that are, you know, like Marvel, you know, you'll like this Marvel content because a lot of people who like Marvel also like games. I don't like it. I don't, I wish that, that there were, things were need-based, you know, I, I, I don't want there to be 10 articles about a single topic because people may be so obsessed that they will click on every single one of those. I, as someone who has been on the the end of of the clicking, you know, like I as someone who's become obsessed with certain releases or games or something, and uh, like found myself compulsively clicking on these light links, you know, I'm one. I'm disappointed with myself, where I'm like, why can't I just rest? 
Like I, I should just, I should be able to calm down and, and, you know, I don't, what fulfillment am I getting from reading the fifth article about this game that I'm excited about, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. that's, so that's part of it. And then the other part of me is, is is like, they're really like, it's manipulation, right? It's like, this goes back to like the microtransaction kind of debate, like debate that, that we were exploring. But if we think about games as an art form, which is controversial, but something that we, that you and I both, both do. And I think certainly at their best, they are an art form. We are generating a ton of quote journalism in order to make a profit off of the thing that is already super expensive, like a super expensive industry, right? Like the game itself is is extremely expensive for for an art piece, right? Like I can rent a movie for three bucks. I have to spend sixty bucks for on a triple A game, seventy bucks on a triple A yeah. game. So it's already a commercialized product that we're calling art. And then there's going to be like you know hundreds or thousands of employees are going to be like working across the country in order to be promoting these these things that are art the reviews are not criticism right they're not like literary criticism where someone is thoughtfully engaging with you know the ramifications of blah 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 right like you know what they are instead trying to either get you to buy or not buy a game and that's i think that's a problem and honestly with this podcast i'm hoping that this can be a new form of games journalism where it's not about the individual games themselves but it's about what it means to to game to be a gamer you know what are the essential features of different genres and you know those kinds of things like i want us to be thinking about gaming more broadly rather than narrowing in on very specific games and i think that's where we're going wrong what do you think circling back to something you said much earlier there is a games media a games press bubble that is just like ever expanding and right now at least in the field i'm in i am seeing up-and-comers and i guess new people enter the market of like vr coverage and ultimately it is what it is i mean what would make it better if things were more need-based or if things maybe at the corporate level were a little more personal that at least for me would be a little cooler like that could pull me away from going to youtube reviews and maybe doing more of the like gaming press focused reviews but honestly at this point i think it's just everyone is putting out their content so you the listener become the viewer spend your attention wisely and find the people who you align with most right like find the people you align with and watch them don't don't just go to whoever says is the like one-stop shop for all things games because everything not even games like movies music like everything nowadays is just so much more uh special like specialized individualized we have weird eclectic tastes like just find those people that kind of like match those tastes for you and and see what they like. Yeah, I like this. This is interesting. So we're we're kind of saying two things that I think are both true, even if they sound like they're opposites. So one one of those things is find people who have similar tastes and that that like you know whose opinions you you resonate with. And the other is don't like don't live inside your echo chamber, right? Like also listen to people who have different opinions than you. And I think the way to go about that is like. Um, 
finding the people who you enjoy and who have interesting perspectives, but not necessarily ones where that you completely agree with, right? Like you can find someone really interesting or engaging or thoughtful because they don't think like you and because they are, you know, and that they can become, you can become part of that ecosystem and, you know, helping to diversify somewhere where you kind of already fit, you know? And it helps our listeners get a broader understanding, I guess, of the marketplace, right? Getting almost getting to know thy neighbor a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I have expressed many a times how much I dislike, say, full physics based combat and virtual reality. But some of my favorite conversations is with people who absolutely love that and want to just, you know, talk, talk or debate it back and forth. And like, I know my mind isn't going to be swayed, but I like having those conversations because I'm learning, like, what is it that makes that other person like it? What's the what's the X factor or maybe this thing that I can already observe isn't clicking for me, but that for some reason is the thing that clicks for them. Like yes, lots of good insight to gain from listening to those people that you don't necessarily agree with. But again, make sure that these are people that can explain themselves in like a good, uh, thorough way. Yeah. And people you trust. I think like knowing that the person that you're listening to is someone who seems like fair and measured and like, they're not just doing it for, you know, clickbait, like going back to what you said before about like wanting the person rather than like the the logo floating above someone's head. You know, there there's a lot of merit to, to just feeling, you know, there's always you, the person is always over the Internet, so you don't actually know them. Right. Like you're you, this is this parasocial relationship, but feeling getting a sense of who someone is you know i think that we kind of have a a good intuitive experience of just like finding people who seem trustworthy to us and i think that that's that that's just looking at your own like detector on that you know like reading reading the radar um but i kind of want to get more specific if that's cool with you los like i i would really like to hear you like give an autopsy of like the cyberpunk coverage if that's not like too specific but i just feel like we're like taking things super broadly and i'm like interested in what we've said so far but to to if we could like both analyze the specific details of what we think went wrong with side with the cyberpunk because it was i mean i think uh almost like unanimously we would agree like people would agree i think that there's a consensus that there was like a failure in either the coverage or the release of that game uh you know, there were unprecedented things happened or things that were nearly unprecedented, like it being taken off of the the PlayStation store um, after release and, and those kinds of things, it getting the console version, getting like an absolutely terrible review. Do you think it would be interesting or productive to maybe like analyze? And we're for the record, I just want to say, well, this isn't like we're not trashing cyberpunk itself. I, I think that there's a larger problem to be explored here it's not about you know it's not about this one game it's about the coverage how games media yes exactly how the how the coverage of this game interfered with expectations or yada 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 yeah i think that would be fun to break down a little bit so with um with the cyberpunk 2077 coverage i guess you know we'll take it on a quick timeline of events for anyone who's unfamiliar uh several years ago CD Projekt Red, the, the makers of the Witcher series, Witcher 1, Witcher 2, Witcher 3, Wild Hunt, um, and Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is lauded as like one of the best open world RPG games. Uh, 
that studio was now announcing that they will begin work on a cyberpunk uh 2077 game and it was really like it was several years ago and it was just some some trailer like it wasn't even gameplay it was just a trailer of like this like woman who was like part robot and she was in the middle of a gunfight and they specifically say like it'll come out when it's ready that type of thing um jump cut to maybe like four years later we see like another trailer and now they're saying oh it's going to come out soon i think it was like maybe a two-year timeline something like that that's kind of normally how things go in video game development um if 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 it is at all in work and seems promising there will be a teaser trailer and when there is like a full-on announce or reveal trailer that is usually meaning like the game is two to three years from done optimally i feel like this is less and less the case as we get more and more into current day gaming but optimally when they do the reveal trailer that is when they know like hey this game is most likely coming out in like two years anyway this trailer comes out for cyberpunk hey the game's gonna come out uh then everyone is just losing their minds because all the coverage has the framing of like the creators of the greatest open world rpg the witcher 3 wild hunt will now make the greatest sci-fi open world rpg cyberpunk 2077 and here's keanu reeves and the, the Keanu Reeves thing became a meme, and I think that, like, really... I mean, the game was already hyped as hell, but the Keanu, me- the, Ke- the Keanu meme just, like, skyrocketed things even more. And so, anyway, there was more trailers, more demos, more coverage. Never really, like, a demo for the public to play, although maybe at the trade shows, yes. Then again, at the trade shows, such as E3, PAX, most of these games are running on a PC. Like, the things inside the box that the controller's sticking out of, that's most likely a PC most of the time, because that's how game development works. Like, we build these games on PCs, we run them on PCs, and then when they seem stable enough to work on a console, they get built out into an EXE and then put onto a disc, and then that goes in the console. But the coverage was just all the time, 24-7. Like, I'm not entirely sure why... There, I'm pretty sure there's some Jason Schreier article either out or in the works that covers the nitty gritty of all this stuff, but it was just constant coverage of a game that is to come out in two years and getting more and more hyped. You know, No Man's Sky went through a similar thing and then the game ultimately came out and actually a big thing before the game ultimately came out we saw that there was like a hard embargo, like basically thing like communication kind of got like halted as like the game got closer and closer to coming out. Like, like review footage. I remember seeing something like within 48 hours of the games uh, before the game launching. And it was like, here's gameplay footage, but it didn't, it didn't exactly say it was like gameplay footage from the console or something like that. It just read as like extra sketchy. So like pre pre-rendered footage versus actual in-game footage, footage on a, a a powerful PC versus an Xbox One, which is like what the game's supposed to release on, and then boom, the shit show happens. Wait, 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 before we go into here, can I can I quickly pivot and just like make a couple of notes? Yeah. Um, a couple of things that you mentioned that I think are like relatively new. Uh, one of them is like real like mainstream actors being in games. 
like we saw this with Death Stranding. Norman Reedus, is that right? Is that his name? Yeah, like Norman Reedus. You know, like again, you know, it's like these memes circulate, which they're they wind up being amazing ways of promoting the game. It almost reminds me of like Michael Jordan, you know, like wearing Hanes or Fruit of the Loom or whatever. You know, it's like it's like this brand association, but they they, they obviously have more of a part because they're like voice acting you know, something with, with a ton of lines. Um, but the idea that, that like you like this person from a specific franchise. And again, these are franchises that like video game people who play video games often like, you know, the matrix is probably, uh, Keanu Reeves is most famous movie. He does like just sci-fi stuff in general. And then Norman Reedus has the walking dead. And there's a huge, there's so many different walking dead games. And I'm sure a lot of people who don't even play walking dead games have seen the walking dead. It's just a big TV show. Um, so that's something that like we never saw 20 years ago. And the other thing is, you know, like the coverage of coverage, you know, like the Nintendo Direct has one of the things that they announced was that there will be a na- an announcement for Breath of the Wild 2 later this year. How is that a news story? You're, you're telling us that you don't have anything to say about Breath of the Wild 2, basically, right? Like yeah. you're planning to tell us something that seems so silly to me. And this is. This is like the Starfield phenomenon. It's like what you like. I really like where you started with Cyberpunk because you really took it from the very, very beginning where like there was essentially no information about it. You know, it was like, oh, here's the first glimpse of of gameplay. Like Starfield, you know, is a game. We don't know the release date. I don't think they've ever showed gameplay of it. I think, you know, I mean, it was like the moment that there was like an image that could become a meme people were sold on and and i don't know how they get that much buy-in I, you know i don't know how the hype you know kind of develops from so little such little such a small amount of information you know you have almost no data to to base your assumption that this game will be good on you know but then go to the collapse right that's the next thing that you're about to talk about so what happens once cyberpunk is released or or actually even prior to that there was crunch right they there was a huge crunch scandal yes oh right yeah damn i missed that okay so right jumping a little bit jumping sometime before the release of the game actually before before shit publicly hit the fan shit was privately hitting the fan let me see okay cd project red was working on the game and uh, their intended release date was like 2 years or whatever from that trailer's release and the whole idea or the whole public sentiment thinking on this game was, oh, you guys have been hard at work on it for the oh so many years since we've seen that first trailer and since you told us that it'll be out when it's ready. I think that a, another trailer with that saying came out, like even when they were like two years out or something like that. Um, so that was the whole expectation, like, oh, you guys are going to work on this and, you know, it's going to be made well and blah, blah, blah. And then fast forward to like, oh, the game's supposed to come out in a year. And I think they announced a delay and I don't remember by how long. I think there was two or three delay announcements for the game. And with delay announcements comes crunch time. And so, damn, dude, this is like such a weird like news Hindenburg that like it's it's odd having lived it and now recounting like everything that's just like falling dominoes in place. But yeah, so like. So the articles start coming out of like, the game's delayed. Oh no, like 
fuck, the game, like, you know, the takes were either, like, the game is just broken and, like, oh, this is bad, or or the takes were, like, wow, this is going to give them some more time to really just nail that Keanu Reeves in the game or, like, allow you to make your penis, like, what shape and angle it could possibly be. Customizable nipples. Yeah, exactly. Like those are both literal. I just for anybody who hasn't actually like note does for anybody who somehow doesn't know anything about about cyberpunk, I I I really cannot understate the amount of coverage that there actually was. Right? Like I know that we're going we're, we're the reason why we're doing a like you know uh, an autopsy of this specific game is because like the day of its release there were like IGN alone had like over ten articles probably. I mean it was absolutely insane and there were literally articles written about things like customizable nipples or like a, a a slider to increase or decrease the size of the penis of the character yeah and so with this ridiculous uh game with ridiculous features uh came crunch time unfortunately for the developers and even more unfortunate for the developers came harassment from people on social media either either like hey why can't you guys get the work done or like you're so blessed to be working on games like basically grubby gamers being like give me game now give me game now it doesn't matter if you're crunching work harder the game should have been done like that was happening uh in some cases like developers got like death threats because of the delays and things like that and you know journalists receive harassment and like death threats as well when it when like sometime either for delivering the news that the delay is coming or like giving low review scores or things like that maybe not even maybe just simply not agreeing or having the same exact thought on a game as you like gets a journalist uh harassed but focusing back on the cyberpunk devs so the coverage said hey the delays are out and, that, and since the delays are inbound, that means that the team had to pick up whatever slack had happened to catch up to that delay. And then articles start coming out. Oh, Cyberpunk is crunching. CD Projekt Red said they weren't going to crunch on projects because crunch was so bad on The Witcher 3. But here we are again. We're crunching. But now it's like this weird... It almost it became this weird cycle almost. It's almost like this vicious like vulture cycle that benefits mostly the press where it's like, cyberpunk is getting delayed let's write stories about that and that's going to get people riled up about crunch and the fact that the game's not coming out and then we're going to write articles about the crunch that's happening and that's going to get people riled up and suddenly another delay article comes out and this fucked up cycle is just like happened to them where it's like we're delayed we're crunching we're delayed we're crunching here's a and then interspersed with that is here's a new game demo here's a new trailer here's a fucking live action trailer with Keanu Reeves talking over Billie Eilish music. And meanwhile, the developers are like working all hours of the day and it's slowly getting to release day. And now if I'm not forgetting anything, we get back to like the week of release. Wait, so wait really quick. Can I, can I, may yes. I? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what you're talking about is essentially a positive feedback loop between the content and the emotion. Right. And by that, I mean, as the content increases, then the pe- the emotional response will increase, right? And then, yeah. and as the emotional response increases, then the amount of content there's more demand for content. So they will continue, you know. So these two things are both increasing because of each other. They're bouncing off of each other. Yeah, like like to to take it to kind of a weird place. Like uh, it, it somewhat reminds me, and maybe I'm off base here. 
but it reminds me of like when I was watching uh, Framing Britney, like the Britney Spears. I haven't seen that yet. Recently, really good. I recommend it. But this kind of reminds me of that cycle that she. Uh, they they show they show more of the details of like that moment where she shaves her head and gets the umbrella and like hits a car and stuff and it was really just this vicious like it was it, it was just this fucked up loop for her life of like paparazzi need to get pictures of her the audience wants more coverage of her and then once like once a little frayed hair showed it was like now they want more like now the audience wants blood and like the paparazzi went for the blood and then the audience is like oh my god her life is so like fucked up i need to cover it more and the paparazzi are now flashing her more with the photos and it's like making her go like just more and more off the rails because the audience and the paparazzi got into this feedback loop there was a demand for scandal absolutely their like budget went up by a power of 10 when the britney spears photos went from fun photos to like her candid and not looking good like the budget just went fucking crazy on that and that's all i want to say about framing britney because this is not the framing britney podcast oh yo i love but... that side though so <laughs> so okay what's the solution though like is there okay well actually you want if we want to finish the cyberpunk thing i want to eventually come back to what is the future of of like this games media stuff look like because i don't think tabloids sell as much as they did like 20 years ago Right, like I, 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 I think that we're uh, like emerging into a new era of of information uh, exchange and and what is deemed valuable. But okay, do you want to talk about the release of Cyber? I can't remember exactly where we are in the narrative. We so are about one week away from the release of Cyberpunk, and things start going kind of quiet, right? Usually, one week before launch, you're start you should start seeing a bunch of reviews, right? Like, oh, has IGN got coverage on this yet? You know. GameSpot, anyone, like, no, nothing's coming out, uh, at least from what I had seen. Like, there were no reviews coming out. There was, like, an embargo place up until the day of release. And you know, you always know something is wrong when the embargo is up to the day of release. And also, these embargoes are, like, usually imposed by the publisher. So it's like, whoever's publishing Cyberpunk is telling these reviewers, like, hey, hey, keep your mouth shut till, like, till the game actually gets on store shelves. Which to me is always sketchy as fuck. I remember there was like a thing where like they could review the game, but they were not allowed to show any gameplay, uh, uh, any of their gameplay, which was insane. It was like the review has to be like basically just said over the trailer. So like video reviews were they were like banned from doing video review for publishing video reviews until after the release of the game. Yeah. and, And thank you. You filled in the detail of the thing I mentioned like a while ago. Yeah the them using pre-baked like gameplay footage over their review and i i like turned off that review in the first 10 seconds when they said oh because of embargo or whatever like we can't show you the actual gameplay footage from our play you're just gonna have to take our word for it and i was like what the fuck i this was ign as well like one of the few times i go to ign i went to them for the cyberpunk review and i saw that and i was like never in all my time going to IGN and I've been going there since I was like I've been I I have been familiar with IGN for like well over a decade probably like probably like maybe two decades now that is pushing it you've been follow IGN hasn't even existed for two decades I bet probably no they're probably they were like n64 I think that they were like an n64 site originally or something well they were the imagine games network before that which like we'll have to look into IGN's history at some point but dude that had never fucking happened 
That was the shadiest, one of the shadiest things I had ever seen on IGN or any sort of fucking like news, uh, gaming news site at least. But yeah, that rubbed me horribly the wrong way. The fact that like reviews were getting, you know, held up until the day of launch. I had seen that with other games like Anthem and uh, can't re- can't remember necessarily what else. Maybe No Man's Sky. Not entirely sure. But that's always like super sketchy. And um, then the day of launch happened. And we suddenly got the No Man's Sky effect, you know? Like, here's the gameplay trailer from E3, here's the Jurassic Park music, and then suddenly here's the day one gameplay footage and the kazoo starts playing. It's all, like, fucked up. And I don't really know what to say about that. Like, that's that's just what happened. Like, that's just the facts of the situation. The game came out, it it suffered heavily from bugs on pretty much all platforms and at that point there was like base ps4 the ps4 pro uh same thing with like the xbox one and then you had the pro version of the xbox uh one and then i think uh i don't even know if it came out on ps5 yet maybe it did but it suffered so many bugs and stuff that it ended up getting pulled off the playstation 4 store the cd project red had said that they were willing to give refunds to people, which I last I last I heard wasn't cleared by Sony, which resulted in that whole them pulling off the store thing. So like a lot of shit just went really weird and really wrong. And uh, ultimately the last thing I heard from this tale was that the actual developers in the studio were going to have a, meeting with the board of directors or whoever to i don't know figure out like what the hell went wrong and that's it like that's the end of cyberpunk it's continuing to get updates yeah it's continuing to get updates it's being improved and uh like optimized for the different consoles that it's on and that's part of the problem they said was that that it's it is released on so many different consoles that it's hard to you know uniformly optimize one important note i'd like to make um, besides the fact that releasing on different consoles takes a hell of a lot more work, is that I think a lot of people just ultimately forgot like where this studio came from. Like The Witcher One and The Witcher Two weren't masterpieces by any means. Like maybe weren't even close. Like I I only ever heard like cumbersome nightmares about The Witcher One, and then I heard from some like diehard people that Witcher Two was cool, and then seemingly witcher 3 is the one and again this is the third game but it's the one that they got right for a major major audience and i think you know somewhere it got lost in the sauce that like here's a developer that has proved themselves over the course of three games and now they're trying something that's fairly different like it's still an open world rpg but that's about all it has in common with the witcher um, I mean, I don't know The Witcher very in depth, but like to me, it reads like, "Hey, like we should have treated this developer as if they were making something that was like kind of out of their wheelhouse." And it more so got the coverage of like these guys are a acclaimed game factory. They pumped out The Witcher three and just kept porting it to different consoles. Thus, they have like a masterful pedigree, and maybe that's ultimately what went wrong there i think that 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 the if there is a single takeaway from uh this experience with cyberpunk it is never to be this hype about anything honestly i don't think anything ever could any single thing 
could live up to the hype. I, I think all of VR doesn't live up to this hype. I think that the advent of like Netflix streaming when that first released doesn't live up to the hype that Cyberpunk got. It's an inc- it's incredible. Like don't get me wrong, like these things that I that I'm naming I think are are absolutely revolutionizing previous systems, you know. I, but we never got anything that from Netflix that was like, "Hey, we're going to be announcing the future of movie streaming on October 13th. Yes. We never got like... Of course we did. And to be fair, it's (laughs) because we really didn't know how revolutionary they would be. And maybe that's a point. You know, maybe that's something interesting that we... The the things that are truly revolutionary are so unfamiliar to us that that we don't even have the ability to become hyped about them. You know, whereas Cyberpunk is an open world game that has a lot of similarities to other games. And maybe that's part of the reason why it shouldn't be something that's super exciting to us. You know, it's like giving us... A, an interesting setting for something that's otherwise like quite familiar and maybe agency setting an agency i'm curious if you're feel ready to turn to some of the solutions because honestly this shit's like really bumming me out like i i feel like the media stuff is is like pretty much garbage and like it's really not serving us and it's like it's like a diet of junk food honestly like i almost think that the journalistic outlets are assuming that people are don't have the 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 mental capacity for truly interesting content right like does it it doesn't it should not merely be this is this is a new feature in this new game right it should be new feature of this game plus analysis right what does this mean like for the art form what does this mean for for you as as like what does this do for narratively how is this going to to change the way that you interact with your own family you know like i want to i want to get so so much deeper than what games media is currently doing and i kind of feel like we might be ready for that i I think we're at least ready to scratch the surface of that i mean and, and again you know like to like this podcast that's like that is the goal right like let's why are we not having more interesting conversations I, I, you know one-upsmanship i didn't mention them at the beginning of the show but i love the guys at small beans i think that this is exactly what they're doing they have really interesting philosophical content that is about you know pop media you know about gaming about movies about all of those kinds of things and they have a good thorough intellectual lens they have their artists themselves they have a creative background um and i think that that's what we need not just not just like the coverage or not just the announcement of the announcement yeah yeah i agree and i'm definitely ready to craft what we think games media should look like like what is the deep in the d-pad branded games media utopia because yeah right now it's i agree it's like totally junk foodie um to take a phrase from red letter media's the nerd crew a fully like parody podcast on all the ign podcasts it is get hype about content consume content get hype about new content that is the master cycle everyone feeds into this and really we just gotta like get rid of that that like it's it's fine to have excitement but i think it's very it's a very there's a very clear line between having some excitement and just at like fanning a fire right like there are so many games out there why do we need 80 articles on cyberpunk 2077 when even they themselves are not giving us updates for these articles why not cover 
some VR games? Why not cover some indie games? Why not roll on over to itch.io and cover something there? Like there's so many different things. And, and to call out like creators who make interesting stuff, like, uh, the, the few creators I've seen that speak in a more intelligent way about games or a more insightful way about games, they, uh, end up getting hosted on like Nebula Stream or Curiosity Stream, like whatever is hooked up with Discovery Channel. Uh, most of them go to there. And I, I've, I've been more and more thinking about, you know, uh, signing up for that resource so I can get better content related to games and other pop culture. But in terms of like what I can have on YouTube for free, there's like Jacob Geller for video games. He does awesome, uh, videos on that. Like Nakey Jakey. He's, uh, he's like more on the funny side, but like many great insights and personal stories when it comes to video games from him. And, uh, for my anime fix, I've started to watch Beyond the Bot, uh, where they kind of explore sort of different, how anime intersects like different spheres of, of life and pop culture. And I think it's on us, the audience, to kind of like search these guys out. But when it comes to like, what is my utopian vision of the games media look like? It is individual content creators or, groups of content creators that you know the individuals within having a transparent relationship with their like consumer base with their readers i see like one of two options right one is is should we try to encourage the corporations uh or or like journalists or the the industry to be transparent and to be fair and to be you know like level-headed in, in the content that they're producing the other one is uh to go not from the source but to the recipient of the news uh and and that would be more of like a like promoting media literacy angle right so i think that trying to enforce the media is you know and this is how I feel about like not just games media, but in general, you know, I think that there's almost always going to be some kind of like scam in the in, in the industry, and they're always going to people are always going to be trying to sell you stuff. But if we could uh, encourage people to uh, become more media literate and see the rhetoric behind something, or to like recognize patterns, um, that to me would be like the backbone of a of a well functioning journalistic ecosystem, I guess. And I also think that if if people became more media literate then they would ha there would be more demand for good content right like not only would they they would they would break the the that positive feedback loop that i was talking about earlier it, so it's not just it's not just like oh they would be like impervious to it it's like well they'd be le also less interested in it right like they wouldn't it wouldn't bother them and then they wouldn't be gravitating toward it and then that stuff will eventually not last right like it won't make it in the market if enough people can wake up and, and realize that this really isn't serving them and it's not the most in, like valuable way to be consuming this particular kind of content. Yeah, I think a big problem that people have circled around for years now has been the review score. Like, you know, we keep talking about wanting more engaging content or wanting more thoughtful content, but what drives the clicks, at least right now, is the fact that everyone goes to the review score. Like they'll click on the article and then just scroll down to the bottom and see the review score. They'll maybe click on the video and fast forward to the end just to see the review score. And uh, 
I don't want to get too much into a discussion about like why the why is the review score there or like should it still be there because I think a lot of people have already talked on that a bunch. I feel like the answer is like it should be there, but it shouldn't be the focal point. And what I present as a solution to that is having a having almost like two versions of the review, like the way almost like the way we write show notes and then condense show notes, like have my full thoughtful, awesomely thought out, like well-written review that might have some sort of like personal story attached to the, to the reviewer. And then give me a like 90 second video that doesn't really tell me shit about the game, but gives me like that number at the end. And I say that because I know that there are a lot of people out there who will simply say, I do not have the time, nor do I care to read this whole story. To them, it would be like, why do I have to read this person's blog post before getting the recipe that I'm trying to cook? Right. So I want to be able to serve those guys without fucking over everybody else. Yeah, I think the I think that most people are just want the bottom line. Like, do I buy this? Do I not buy this? Um, I I don't really know. I I don't think reviews are the answer. You know, I don't. Maybe like streaming for some people who like watch Twitch and and things like that. I think that they may get a better understanding of the game. Being able to you know, it's almost like you're playing it yourself. If you're watching someone play, you get a better feeling for the story. The thing that's useful about reviews, and I'm trying to think about, I okay, so, so the, what you're hinting at is is like the fact that people are very conscious of how they're spending their time. So condensing the reviews has the advantage of allowing a person to get the information that they're seeking without having to expend the ten minutes that it takes to direct their their like focus to this very particular review. The reviews are often broken up into different um, aspects of the game. So it's like, here is the performance, here is the story, here is the animation. And I think um, maybe like a... One thing I find I really enjoy with reviews is, is like Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus, right? Like I love... I love to to read about whether or not it's going to actually influence. Like I'll do it with movies that I've already seen. I just find it really interesting to hear this kind of summation of like how different people have, uh, you know, interpreted this movie, you know, as if, as if it could be, you know, like reviewed in eight words as if that could ever do it justice. And the word choice is extremely precise, uh, in like in the critical consensus. So something like that seems like it, it might work for video games. Uh, also, you know, maybe something like that for each of those component parts that I was just talking about. So like, let's have one good sentence for the animation. Let's have one really thoughtful sentence about the narrative, etc. I I just don't know, you know, the, the, it begs the question though, like how long does it take to accurately explain what a game is and what it can do for the player? And on some level, you just need to play it yourself. You know, I mean, like, so, so, it feels like there's almost a futile desire to to you know like the 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 point there is no point to writing the review if it is not to try to get someone to have the experience themselves uh which they can't do because of the review they can only be persuaded to do so because of it i definitely i would want i would want some sort of protections or rules against this like shady embargo nonsense like, I understand embargoes to some extent of, like, hey, maybe you guys have, like, first coverage on a game, and 
like everyone else has to follow this embargo, otherwise we'll sue them or something like that. But using an embargo to stop honest, using an embargo to stop any sort of like non-positive news or opinions from getting out is almost like a crime in my opinion. And, uh, really is like shady to say the least and would would absolutely be like against the rules in my like utopian games press it's like embargoes can only go to like x point like if an embargo is for like a game and it's not to like give someone the advantage of like having first dibs coverage then like the embargo cannot go beyond say like one week leading up to the launch or something like that like and then also adding in like like all reviews must use footage captured by the actual reviewers themselves in order for the transparency to be there for them to see your actual gameplay footage and i think a big part of it for me would be severely uh reducing the content dole out i guess during the reveal preview review cycle um this cycle we we kind of mentioned with the story of cyberpunk but the cycle that all these like journalists or gaming press sites follow is reveal preview review when the game is revealed do coverage on the reveal then keep on doing previews of the game as long as the game is in development until it is time for the game to come out, which in which case you are doing the review, the end part of the cycle. I think maybe like reducing, heavily reducing how much of the preview happens. And there's so many variables that are like, you know, ever changing in that preview cycle. But we shouldn't we shouldn't be inundated with like all these different articles about the same game that isn't going to come out for like two years. Right. Like I said before, like cover other shit. So severely reducing the preview cycle and expanding the variety of coverage would be like my big columns to tackle. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head of games that uh, had spoilers because of like the way that it was covered, like reviews, but I'm sure that that's happened, that like information was leaked either intentionally or accidentally by uh, by like the press uh, before the studio itself was ready. Do you have any examples of that off the top of your head? And in terms of like wanting new things to be covered and you're with your policy on embargoes, I, I'm guess I'm just curious how you're feeling about um journalists leaking that that kind of information that the developers are not ready to to talk about yet or maybe things that aren't going to be that aren't finalized or concrete so they might be changing still yeah that so on the developer side things are up in the air so often like a game is always being cooked and new things are always getting added and retracted from the pot um so it would create a honestly nightmarish news cycle for both the consumer and the reporter if they had like all access to the developers and like what's going on in the day-to-day operations of the game like nobody would enjoy that coverage because <laughs> people would just get hyped for a game that never was never is or never will be like every day so speaking specifically on the spoiler bit i don't recall any 
uh, game moments that got like hard spoiled due to a journalist. Yeah, I, I mean um, more feature spoilers than I do like story spoilers. Just for the record, I, that might not. Oh, okay. that word might. Those words might not be interchangeable. Like spoiler might specifically be like narrative, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Most of the, yeah. Most of the time, people see that as a narrative thing. But uh, yeah, the only example I was going to bring was I think AMC accidentally revealed like a character death on The Walking Dead like one day before the episode aired. Like it was literally on the front page of their website. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> that's like so embarrassing. I, yeah. Okay. But but when it comes to games, um, I can't really think of any scenarios where somebody announced something in a game and it was like that wasn't supposed to be said or something like that. I think we usually hear this like long after the game is out in like reviews or whatever. Um, I think uh, one one actually maybe one big feature that was that was sort of on and off the chopping block that we saw it more publicized was like the jetpacks from uh anthem like if if i recall correctly from the article about that game's development it was like one of the one of the producers or or something that like demanded the jetpack be put into the game and then it ended up just being shown to millions of people with the jetpack and they weren't even sure if they were like going to keep that so from a developer side like it's kind of crucial that we only show what we truly plan on bringing to the audience because i mean it's not just that they're the audience like they're the consumers so a lot of legal stuff goes into there right like um there could be like potentially false advertising claims if like when you announce the launch of your game you're like oh this is an open world game there's going to be shooting there's going to be platforming and crafting and then suddenly like the crafting is nowhere to be seen in the final product that's interesting and i think you know we can still have cool engaging coverage of these game systems but obviously like we need to wait for when the developer or at least their publisher feels that they are like ready to show this and again the whole like asking the publisher if the developer's ready could also lead to things like, like you know cyberpunk's happening but, you know, there has to be that communication. The developers, like, we need the time to actually, like, you know, prove out our systems, get them built, and then be able to, like, reach out and say, hey, you know, we got this cool thing to show. And maybe have featurettes that are more around features. Like, I think we kind of do that currently to an extent. Like, if I recall the Nemesis system in uh, Middle Earth Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor, like, I'm pretty sure that got featurettes on, like, IGN to sort of explain, like, whoa, this is a crazy new system. And the cynical part of me is like, well, yeah, that's like, that's like probably the biggest thing that's different in this game compared to all the other open world, you know, action RPGs out there. But coverage like that would would maybe even like help the audience start to think like wow how does this game shoot differently from this game or like you know start to eye out like what innovations are there like does this copy pretty much everything i know do i like that if i like that then sure i'm gonna get the game but if i don't then maybe i'll just like pass it off to see what what featurette covers a like system that i think is really cool or maybe there's like featurettes to this is kind of like going into a, a different topic now, but what I would like to th see is like cool, different featurettes that feel meaningful. Uh, like in a comedic sense, 
writing an article or writing a short book about like butts in video games like just characters butts and speaking to the developers that made those butts and the character artists that designed those butts this is like an actual book that's out now by the way but like if i if seeing that as a featurette like that interests me it's it's so weird and out there but like it also it just it has that kind of like huh this is something you don't think about but you might want to look into features like that features like hey let's cover the nemesis system and like talk about how like what type of changes this could bring to ai as we know it and i keep bringing up the nemesis system because you know most recently uh wb was trying to maybe pull draw a patent on the nemesis system meaning like nobody would be able to use it ever and um and like well, nobody would be able to use it without paying, you know, Warner Brothers. And that stifles all creativity. And I think Jim Sterling, you know, brings up the the best example because the last video game patent was on mini games during loading screens. Bandai Namco, and I'm I'm personally familiar with this because I played the Dragon Ball Z Budokai games growing up. And during their mini games, you could like spin the joysticks to like spawn Cybermen. And that I always thought that was kind of fun. Little did I know as a child that they pulled a patent on that and those like three games would be the only games for the next like 10 plus years to have loading screen mini games due to that patent. So Warner Brothers trying to pull a patent on the Nemesis system will basically suffocate that area of the creative medium. We have not seen loading screen mini games since those Budokai games. Nobody probably to this day, nobody is even thinking of making those loading screen mini games because nobody else has because of the legal implications of it. And I'm pretty sure they don't have the, you know, I'm pretty sure they don't have the lock on that patent anymore because like time ran out, but we're very unlikely to see anything major in that realm for a, for a while and i sure as hell know triple a gaming isn't gonna have any like history to say loading screen mini games like help sell units or they make the players like want to buy or play more right so holding that patent just really kind of fucked over a whole part of video game history for a while yeah a generation really yeah so ryan what do you have a change of heart about so there are two things that are you know, in the in the zone of uh, heart changing for me, the first one is is more direct, and that's you know reevaluating how I've thought about embargoes, and you know if we think about like the press as as like the fourth estate, and you know it's kind of a check uh, on the other governmental powers. I I I want the journalists to be able to uh, write whatever they want, right? It seems like it should kind of be like an open and fair place you know and i don't really know many much about the pros of the embargo situation so perhaps i would need to know more about the pros before i like really like commit but it does seem to me like embargoes uh like the day of release you know the week of release is not a a workable system that doesn't seem like it's doing anything that i that i would respect so I can't really find a justification for it. And that's something I guess I just had never really considered prior to our conversation. Um, the other thing that I isn't a change of heart necessarily, but it's something I still don't really know the answer to is uh, over the course of our conversation, I was thinking about what kind of relationship people should have with uh, 
journalists should have with the people who they're covering right uh and i don't want them to be friends right because then they're only they you know they're unlikely to break loyalty right like they in order for them to be objective you know or as objective as possible they can't have close ties with the people who are developing the product that they're that they're covering but then i also don't want them to be enemies i want them to have some kind of like po- positive coworker like relationship but you know the when people spend a lot of time together and they're both interested in video games and they talk about video games and they you know are showing demos they're going to have fun so i don't really know exactly how it could be the case that there's like almost like an independent body that reviewed so that you know people weren't coming in contact um but i you know so i guess that's just still something i i'm thinking about i think that this is also like probably the case in like Washington DC too right where it's like you want the the New York Times journalist who's like talking to the press secretary to have a to be cordial but you don't necessarily want them to be like pals so just something to think about i guess for me for like news stuff in general definitely yeah what, like i i agree with what you're talking about like you want them to basically have like this sort of mutual respect for their part of the business of this it's like you know, you both have to feed off each other, right? So, like, let me cover your game, people will see the coverage, and then they'll want to play your game if they're interested. My change of heart kind of falls with uh, the... It falls a little bit with the review score thing, and it falls a little bit with, I guess, like, how... Like, with, I guess... Oh, yes, with money exchange... And I and like what they're looking for. So previously I said like we don't need to always be covering Cyberpunk 2077, and I still stand by that. But as I think about it more, I now realize that that publisher, um, I can't remember who publishes Cyberpunk, but like that publisher could be you know, paying X amount of money for that coverage. It's part of their marketing campaign. They're buying ad space on the website. All these transactions optimistically are helping to give the reviewers and the content creators like their paycheck. So covering indie games, you know, may not be as lucrative and could result in either like a reduction of staff or staff getting paid less, which would be unfortunate. Like I don't, I don't want people to lose their jobs, but at the same time, I want, I want like some better coverage or some more varied coverage. So right now, like I think this is kind of similar to you. I don't really have an answer for this, but with how our current system is set up, the people who have the most money are, as always, the most attractive to the people who want to make money, and it's just gonna kind of like keep that cycle up i always like to look at the i think it was i think it's like the canadian media fund or something like that but a lot of games that you see come out of canada have this like cmf and like a orangey white logo next to it and that means that like the to some extent like the government of canada has this like fund um and like that and you can apply for like uh grants from that fund mm-hmm. and and like you can use that for video games for movies for like whatever creative endeavor we have the making. nea the national endowment for the arts oh interesting okay yeah so i've never seen that logo anywhere associated with games um and you know maybe having maybe having something like that 
that the smaller businesses, meaning the indie developers, because these are still businesses, we shouldn't look at them specifically as just starving artists, but like, in some cases they are, right? Like, it's like, okay, this isn't a professional developer, but when it comes to like, you know, a small team of 10 people who do actually have an LLC or whatever, and they're putting a game together, like, that's a business. And if those people could like take out grants that might be able to help them buy advertising space on this, or maybe even setting up systems that help those like lower income artists, maybe not necessarily giving them money for advertising or, but maybe doing more so like, uh, Hey, like we have, like we have this slot, we're going to put this game here and still doing the grant system for things like that. I am not sure. I could see that being very I could see that being helpful though. Like the reviewers and stuff, they got to make their money somehow and they have oh so many ways to make it and without changing our current system too too much, maybe we can find ways to help the little guy compete more with the big guy. Yeah, I really like that idea. I'm I'm going to research uh grants for video games because I also have never heard of like any a grants being used for for games or anything like that um and i think it is I, my guess is that it's possible and that we just don't have a huge huge fund for it yeah yeah probably so this is an article released november of 2020 on startgrants.com uh then mm-hmm. this is a quote from the nea's like new uh, guidelines then uh the new rule is called the nea arts in media which supposedly replace the arts and radio and television rules. The NEA arts and media rule expands its focus for other media outside of radio and television, which also include theatrical, mobile phones, mobile contents, and even video game category. So, as of oh, November, at least uh, there are there is an you can apply for an NEA grant for for video games, which is sick. That's that's very good. Hopefully, it works very similarly to how Canada has it set up. Because honestly, like most games I see from Canada have that logo, and I think it's just a really good system. Yeah, that gets into the problem of like propaganda, you know, it's like state-sponsored propaganda versus, you know, but also like, you know, like it's great that like the state is funding art, you know, like I feel I have mixed feelings about the whole situation for like what gets approved and what doesn't, but talk about an immediate change of heart (laughs) but if we want to talk about state sponsored games i mean wouldn't call of duty be first on the list (laughs) and that's where we're going to end our episode thank you so much for joining us for deep in the d-pad we love america and the government and everything america has thank you for listening to deep in the d-pad subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share us with your friends for updates and discussion, follow us on Reddit at r slash deep in the d-pad, Facebook at deep d-pad, and subscribe to deep in the d-pad on YouTube. Don't forget to hit the bell. And if you want to ask us questions or you had a chance to share your own d-pad delight on the show, email us at askdeepinthedpad at gmail.com. Be sure to put question or delight in the subject line. Big thanks to 8-Bit Jazz and Kevin McLeod for supplying the music for the show.